Welcome to the Arthroscopy Association's Arthroscopy Journal Podcast. The views expressed in this podcast do not necessarily represent the views of the Arthroscopy Association or the Arthroscopy Journal. This is a special edition of the Arthroscopy Podcast, Episode 2 of a two-part series with Dr. Steve Snyder of SCOE. In Part 1, we discussed the technique and background of his single-row rotator cuff repair method. In Part 2 here, we discuss his forthcoming article on results of this technique in medium-to-large cuff tears and its implications. Greetings, this is Rob Hartzler with TSAOG Orthopedics in San Antonio. Today on the podcast, we have the pleasure of speaking with a legend in arthroscopic shoulder surgery, Dr. Steve Snyder, who's a founding member of the shoulder division of Southern California Orthopedic Institute, SCOE. Today, we're going to be discussing your article, which is accepted and in pre-proof form and available online at the Arthroscopy Journal, entitled Arthroscopic Repair of Medium to Large Rotator Cuff Tears with a Triple Loaded Medially Based Single Row Technique Augmented with Marrow Vents. So let's get in a little bit to the results of this study. So these were two to four centimeter rotator cuff tears, and mm-hmm. they were studied at minimum 24 months follow-up. Um, talk to us about, and they were, I should say, also, these were two, typically two or three anchor repairs. That's and cool. so, yeah, t- so talk to us about what you found on uh, the post-op MRI. What was, what was the healing rate? Well, the healing rate on the MRI was 92%. And um, that was that was on, you know, all of the cases. And, and we used a little over two anchors, I think 2.1 or 2.2 anchors um, on, on the average. So, you know, two anchors usually, which meant six sutures, uh, some of them a little more, a uh, few a little less. But... Um, 92% had healed, and none of them uh, had progressed their um, Goutelier classification. Of course, sick, scarred, fatty atrophy muscle doesn't turn back into good, healthy muscle. But if you can maintain the muscle that's there, I think you've done a, a good job with the repair weren't surprised by the healing rate, given your experience over the years with this technique? Well, again, no. In fact, sometime I think I'd like to publish my own, my own cases. <laughs> um, I, uh, because I'm so polarized in the way I think about this based on my experience and my hundreds of post-op MRIs and that type of thing, I would, I would expect that that my own patients would have been higher. Um, it's almost a rarity to ever see a failure. And this is actually rotator cuff is almost all I do anymore. Uh, so I'm almost one dimensional surgeon, but um, it's just so successful that um, I'm surprised to see a failure. And um, yet we combined all of ours. Some of the young guys who were just starting their own practice with with uh, Gettleman, who's a very talented, experienced surgeon, uh, Ron Carzell, and, and of course, Joe Burns is a magician with the arthroscope. So, uh, but he was just starting in practice, uh, or, or young in practice when, when he contributed his cases. And so we didn't, we didn't really, um, separate them by the experience of the surgeon necessarily. 
But I, I would think that it would have been a, probably stratified a little bit differently if we did um, have different surgeons. I don't know that for a fact. Clinical outcome scores uh, were very good, as you would expect, with this many healed repairs. Yeah, Rob, that's true. Um, one thing I, I also want to mention, um, you know, I grew up poor, you know, one of a family of 10 and, you know, not a lot of extra soup in the pot at the end of the dinner. And so that's kind of gone with me my whole uh, professional life as well. I don't like wasting uh, wasting resources, and I don't like spending money that I don't get value for. And that's one of the reasons that we we are like we are here. We don't throw things away if we don't have to, and we don't open things, you know, shavers and whatnot. We do all of our decompressions and our and our debridements with one shaver rather than a burr, and you know, we don't waste things. And that's one of the reasons we use the uh, suturing technique we do because. We reuse those needles and sterilize them over and over. And and instead of paying 125 bucks a needle, you know we can use those needles for 10 cases. And so the reason I say that is when we only use two anchors per repair rather than four, that saves 500 bucks every case. And if we get the same result as using four anchors uh, or using two anchors. With six sutures, as we would with four anchors, with six sutures or however many, then um, if I could get one percent better results by using more anchors, I'd do it. Because the only thing that really matters when you're a surgeon is if the patient gets well. And uh, but the secondary thing is why waste money or use more resources if you can get the same result with fewer resources. So that's again, that's part of our, and I did that calculation and oh my goodness, had, had we done over the last 10 years, um, you know, even one more anchor per case, it would be up in the millions of dollars. So people don't talk about cost very much. They're starting to. Mm-hmm. Now people are starting to recognize as, you know, we're, our insurance companies and our, our, if there was, if, if there was even, a half percent improvement that I that I could foresee, but I've never seen um, a report in the literature or or anything else that shows that if I put in four anchors rather than two, or I pulled my tendon down to the edge of the tuberosity, or any of those things, it would give me a better result. And uh, you know, again, I've I've changed along the way when things look like they're better or somebody shows me that this is going to be better for my patient. But until until I get that value, uh, both for healing or for for economic value, then, you know, do the best you can using the fewest resources and the least surgical time, and, and, uh, and I think everybody's better off. Do you think that – why do you think that the – phenomenon of double row and then traditional double row and then transitioning to link double row repairs has caught on so well is it is it a convenience factor for the surgeon is it industry driven what what do you think about that well you know I, <laughs> um, I think a lot of things I think it's good sense to say 
that if you do a double row and and put more of that native tendon down on the bone, you, you know, you're you've got a bigger substrate for healing. And I think that makes good sense. But I don't think the good sense uh, bears out in practicality. Uh, you know, we all know that the end of the tendon, it's been shown by serial biopsies that the, the cells at the end of the tendon, those frayed, fragmented pieces of dead tissue, are, are, are not going to heal. You know, that, that tissue is going to be um, removed by the, you know, the natural inflammatory cytophytic process of, of uh, you know, uh, of tendon and uh, any kind of healing. So why put that down? Well, it makes sense to have a bigger footprint, but it doesn't make, it makes sense teleologically, but it doesn't make sense in, in actual fact, in my opinion. And, um, you know, nobody, in my opinion, has ever shown that that tissue that's gone down in the double row from the medial edge of the cartilage laterally, that tissue actually participates in the healing of the footprint. Maybe it does, maybe it doesn't, but if you get the same healing from bone marrow and you've proven it with biopsy over and over, as well as hundreds of thousands of MRIs in the post-op here, you know, when a, when a double row uh, repair fails, it doesn't fail through the footprint. It fails through the medial edge where the tension in the and the transfer sutures go. A lot of people put sutures back and forth across the medial edge and tie them down, and that creates an isthmus that's avascular because it's crushed by the suture against the, the bone there. And um, that's where they fail. And in in, um, in so many of these these uh, uh, articles that, that uh, show that... Um, you know, type two or Chow's type two failure occurs, including Chow. Uh, it occurs because of that strangulation of that medial row tissue under tension. So even if a single row fails, it a lot of times leaves you with enough tissue that you can go back after you take off a little bit of articular cartilage. Uh, you can you can go back and do a repair. I mean, we did this yesterday. We did. A big repair. I thought I was going to have to do a graft because it was four anchors, four of these plastic anchors in the bone, and uh, lots of tapes and sutures and this and that. And and uh, we took that out, but by actually cutting back some of the articular cartilage and using some of these soft anchors, which which don't require as much bone to to anchor, we were able then to do the repair taking out a couple of the plastic anchors and using those big five to six millimeter holes as bone marrow vents. And we were able to get a, get a repair, but I was prepared to do a, a graft because it was missing a big chunk of the central tendon of the supraspinatus where the, where the double row had uh, cut right through. So I don't, I don't mean to be a, a gladiator and I'm not going after anything or anybody. I think, Almost every cuff you you can you can repair you can do with either double or single row or or transosseous equivalent you know for a simple uh, tear 
there with no tension and missing a little length, why, you know, why go through all that? You know it's going to heal. And then there are cases, so be selective. And if there's a lot of good-looking tendon that um, that will probably add to the the healing footprint, well, use it. And and use your best judgment. Don't waste money. And, you know, you know if it's going to heal or not. And you know that if pulling it tight, um, like who was it? It was uh, one of the advisors, <laughs> Tommy advisor. You know, he said, "Yeah, you put enough stitches and keep pulling, it'll come down." <laughs> so that uh, I don't agree totally with that, but but I do agree that um, lots of small, non-traumatic, low-tension sutures uh, and bone marrow availability and take it easy for a few months and they're gonna heal. And I'm not a I'm I'm certainly not a doom and gloom guy when it comes to rotator cuff. My wife has two beautiful single row rotator cuffs and she's throwing grandkids in the pool and, and uh she's been twelve to four and fourteen years out. So, you know, I, I see it every day and 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 appreciate the fact that uh that nature will do that if we just give her a chance. Excellent. Well, I think that's a, that's a great way to end the podcast. And, um, you know, we just thank you so much for all the contributions that you've made to shoulder surgery over the years and for studying your patients and for proving that these techniques work. So congratulations on this article and thanks so much for being with us. Well, you know, Rob, it, it wouldn't be possible without the arthroscopy association. It just wouldn't be possible because I'm sitting here in a little hole far away from the rest of the world, and I was able, by being invited to be the first shoulder uh, leader in, in the Arthroscopy Association and then meeting Dr. Burkhart and Dr. Esch and all the other wonderful guys that we've met. It's been the best thing that's happened to me intellectually and and um, for friendship and for education and for just feeling proud of uh you know being part of this but it's been the arthroscopy association that's made that happen so um i couldn't do it without that this article currently in press in the arthroscopy journal arthroscopic repair of medium to large rotator cuff tears with a triple loaded medially based single row technique augmented with marrow vents can be found on the journal's website at arthroscopyjournal.org